Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 25 years of the Sports Edge on WFAN. We remember Rick Wolf with a special encore presentation of the show. This is the Sports Edge with Rick Wolf on your flagship station for New York sports. The Fan, Sports Radio 66 and 1019 FM, WFAN, New York. Now, over the years, you have heard me talk with, with great pride about my three kids that my wife Trish and I have been blessed with. And a few weeks ago, for example, my older daughter, Alyssa, she's the, uh, the stand-up comic, uh, she called unexpectedly into the show, and we had some great laughs. So she's talking about the women's soccer team. She thought I was being a bit sexist. <laughs> well, uh, when, when she was in high school, Alyssa, uh, she was a dedicated swimmer and an excellent scorer in lacrosse. And my younger daughter, Samantha, uh, she's the one who was a terrific all-around athlete. She played basketball, soccer, also a top lacrosse player. She graduated from Michigan, and and these days uh, she works for the PGA in corporate partnerships. And then there's my son, John. Now 35, John was a superb baseball, ice hockey, and soccer player growing up. And he really began to shine in high school in ice hockey and baseball. In fact, he was named to the New York State Empire State Games two years in a row as a defenseman in hockey and in baseball. Well, he started on the high school varsity baseball team as a freshman at shortstop. Played a lot of travel sports and hockey and baseball before heading off to Harvard where he focused on baseball but did play on the Harvard JV hockey team. Now, John was drafted and signed after his junior year by the White Sox. He also played in the Mets organization and also played some independent league baseball as well. He went on to Columbia Business School where he focused on finance and these days is a highly successful, a highly regarded expert on investing for Omega Advisors with John's specialty being on Silicon Valley tech stocks and new ventures. But most importantly, John and his wife, Karen, who is also a, a top athlete, they have a daughter, Riley, who is 15 months old. And I thought it would be interesting on the show this morning, again, something a little different, to get John's views on sports parenting, especially now that he's about to join the ranks of sports parents. And to that end, my son, John Wolf joins me this morning by phone. John, how you doing? Hey, Dad. Good morning. Yeah, well, uh, I, I, um, I must tell you, it gives me great pride to talk about you and your sisters. And, uh, of course, you and your, your, your siblings give uh, your mom and me great, great joy. Uh, and as you know, clearly you grew up in a sports-oriented family. So I am interested that now you've become a recent father. How are you looking at sports for your daughter, Riley? Well, um Given that she's uh, not even 16 months old, uh, I think we're jumping the gun a little bit. Um, <laughs> well, let me ask you. I mean, she is uh, almost 16 months, and uh, what about getting her on a travel team for soccer? <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, I guess uh, I guess I should be asking you for advice. <laughs> uh, I, I think you did a pretty good job over the years. Um, there's a lot There's a lot to, to consider. Uh, you know, I guess, I, I mean... Maybe I should ask you, when, when did it really start uh, when myself, Alyssa, and Samantha were growing up? Because uh, I guess my first impression is that Riley is still pretty young. Um, but I will say, in the back of my mind, 
there's a lot of things that, that I know a lot more about today than I did when I was growing up. And not so much from a travel team or a specialization perspective, but more from, you know, the importance of nutrition from an early age uh, as it relates to sports performance, you know, proper teaching, right? I mean, there, there's a lot of programs out there today that, you know, kind of showed up late in my career. Um, but, you know, I, things that come to mind that, that I probably could have benefited a lot from when I was younger uh, are things like Pro Swing, you know, Dan Gray. You know, I met Dan when I was a freshman in college, uh, and he was fantastically helpful in my baseball career. But, uh, my gosh, what if I met him when I was in middle school? That could have been a huge help. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, of course, you know, injury prevention. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, um, it's really, you know, I hope, I hope Riley, uh, who, as you said, is 15 months old, I, I hope that she, you know, finds a sport that she enjoys and she has fun with it and hopefully it's perhaps a sport that we can share together would, would be a lot of fun the same way you and I have shared uh, baseball over the years. Well, you know, it's, um, it, it, it's hard to believe, but of course uh, time does uh, march on. Uh, and yeah, I do recall uh, back when you were probably four or five, six, seven years old. And the question even then, of course, sports parenting was uh, very much in full swing back then, uh, but not perhaps to the extent it is today. Uh, sports parenting, as I've said many times on the show, just gets more and more complicated with each passing year. Now, when you started out, uh, I remember having uh, conversations with your mom about, well, you know, I, I think it's important we want our kids to play sports, but there are there's a huge variety of sports for kids to choose from. I don't think it's necessarily a smart idea to either nudge or gently push John into one of the sports that I know well. Now, when I was growing up, you know, I played baseball, of course, football, and, and basketball. Uh, I like to joke that, you know, that soccer hadn't been invented yet, uh, or even for that matter, lacrosse. But when you were, you know, five or six, you know, and I, I knew something about soccer. I had covered soccer as a sports writer, but I wasn't totally uh, really ingrained with the fundamentals of the sport or how to teach it. But it was clear that this was something that was becoming more and more popular. It was obviously a social kind of event to be in a youth soccer team. Uh, and then you eventually migrated. You, you played some basketball. You fell in love with ice hockey, a sport that I have always loved, but I can't skate at all. And, of course, baseball was something I did know something about. But I always felt it was important to let the, 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 the child sort of find their own way as what sport they wanted to play. Uh, I guess you were somewhat intrigued with football, but not necessarily the point you wanted to play it, even though I, I had played football in high school and a little bit in college. Um, look, so now that you're a dad, what do you think? What, what is your approach going to be with, with, with Riley uh, in terms of, are you going to let her pick and choose the sport she wants to play? Or are you going to say, you know, Riley, maybe you should consider, you know, playing golf, for example, or some other sport? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's a good question. Um, my hope is to expose her to a lot of sports and she would see what she naturally gravitates towards. Um, you know, growing up uh, with you as my dad, uh, obviously – you know, part of the fun of playing baseball, but also part of the, the challenge at times was uh, being in your in your shadow uh, and obviously, you know, playing on teams that you had played for, you know, 30 years or I, I don't even know how much, you know, prior. Um, you know, there are a lot of guys that remembered how good you were. And so I kind of sometimes felt I had to live up to, to that challenge. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes, you know, playing ice hockey where you couldn't skate, uh, gave me the freedom to to try a new sport, you know, with no, um, you know, no no kind of like uh, preconceived notions from from other players or or you know scouts or coaches or or, or what you know things like that. So uh, I guess my hope with Riley is is that we can expose her to several sports and see what she she enjoys. Um, but I also remember situations. Uh, from my childhood that I thought were, were kind of ahead of their time. Um, and that obviously reflects upon you and that, you know, like things like, like baseball, you, we really didn't get into it uh, in an organized way until I was probably a little bit later than the average, the average kid, um, you know, T-ball and things like that, where the game moves so slowly and, and kids don't throw strikes. Um, you know, I was playing a lot more ice hockey and soccer as a young kid, 
And then as I got older, I played more, you know, organized baseball. But I thought that was pretty. I thought that was pretty smart on your part um, to hopefully make the game more enjoyable, as opposed to uh, uh, you know being bored um, or distracted at times. Yeah. Um, so I'll, I'll try to take some of those, you know, teachings and apply them to Riley as well. I thought it'd be fun today to compare and contrast the various perspectives on how sports have evolved especially from the vantage point of someone who is, well, quite frankly, 30 years younger than I am. Which brings me to my guest, uh, Noah Savage, uh, who's been on the show before. Noah was an all-Ivy League sharpshooting forward at Princeton, where he captained the team his senior year back in 2008. He's gone from being uh, an active player to broadcaster himself. He's done Princeton basketball for several years on the Ivy League network and has also worked topped high school games over in New Jersey. Uh, And in all candor, I should point out that Noah happens to be my son-in-law, happily married to my older daughter, Alyssa. And uh, Noah is a creative guy. He's also launched a a new kind of podcast. Now, podcast is something that, again, didn't exist 20-some years ago. Uh, But this podcast is called Old School, New School. And Noah, tell our listeners about what that's about and and how they can find this podcast and and download it. Well, basically, it's uh, a weekly look at the hottest sports topics and current events from the perspective of two sportscasters who are decades apart. It's available on iTunes or OldSchoolNewSchoolPod.com. Okay, and and obviously the two sportscasters would be you, of course, and you and, you. and myself. So, yeah, obviously, I guess I fulfill the role of being the old school guy, and you're the new school guy. All okay. right, so check it out, and thanks again for having me on the show, yeah. Rick. No, a pleasure. Uh, let's get into this, because I do want to talk about how things have changed and evolved, not necessarily for the better from my perspective, but things do change. Uh, and obviously, on, on, on my, my show on the Sports Edge, we talk all the time about how Sports parenting and kids and specialization and, uh, you know, all these things have just uh, gone in different directions. But the first thing I want to ask you about with kids today, I'm trying to get to how, because you're a lot closer to the kids that go through high school and college. You know, it seems to me they have so many coaches these days. And I know you've talked to high school and college coaches about this, but tell us about the fact that kids today and and their parents, they, they seem to enlist so many specialized coaching instructors. Yeah, and, you know, I could speak to that because I am one of those specialized coaches. Oh, my gosh. You know, when someone says, hey, well, you know, so-and-so needs a private shooting coach, I gladly do it. But I can tell you with some of the young athletes I work with currently, I work with them once a week, and I was talking to one of my athletes this week, and I was like, are we doing too much running in our workout? And and she was going, well, Monday I have club team, Tuesday I've got a clinic, Wednesday I'm with you, Thursday i got games, and then i got games all weekend. And how old is this girl? Uh, 13. Okay. So just to give you an idea that I didn't really know that was going on, but that that's okay, I guess, if it's originated from the athlete yes. who wants to be playing that much. Like at, at, at that age, I wanted to be playing every minute of every day, but the problem becomes you have too many voices. You've got too many. If you well, have four coaches teaching how to shoot a jump shot or swing a bat, who do you listen to? Well, that's my point. I mean, yeah, how, how do you? How does a kid who's thirteen, who obviously loves playing basketball, and is trying to get all this, trying to filter through all this instruction, who do you listen to? Now, when you were thirteen, you didn't have all these coaches, right? Well, I'm a good bridge between, you know, your generation and the generation now, where you have an Instagram for your third grade team. We definitely specialized. AAU was a, was a big deal, but I think the camps were a bigger deal back then. Five Star was the biggest basketball yeah. camp, and you know, I'm talking from a basketball perspective. This applies to all sports where the camp used to be the first half of the day was instructional and fundamentals. Can you believe that? You would do stations. You <laughs> well, would learn how I, I, to pass, dribble, and shoot. And then some of the other camps came along and they said, you know, nobody really likes stations. Why don't we just play games all day long and we'll bring in the college coaches. Okay, and I, I witnessed that change from instruction to showcase. My, my guest is Noah Savage, and we're talking about how sports have changed in the last uh, 20, 25, 30 years. And you just hit upon something which I find fascinating, that kids today, you know, they, they, it's not about fundamentals and spending half the time learning the game or, or going through various skills and drills. No, let's just play all, all, all the entire day. Yeah. And eventually, I guess, there's a sense from these kids that they're going to learn 
or they're going to evolve, or they, are they, do they watch other kids, other competitors, to see how they do certain things? How, how is the game taught? Well, I think you, you learn the game by playing it, but this, the problem is the second that you're good, even when you're in third, fourth grade, you're, you're plucked from whatever community you're in, you're put on an AAU team, and then the showcasing begins. And I think the difference is that when you're showcasing, you're just trying to show how good you are individually as a player, and trying to win the game becomes secondary. So that's that's a dangerous mindset to start it, with. It is a dangerous mindset because, I mean, the idea of playing any team sport, whether it's basketball or football or baseball, whatever it might be, the fundamentals of team play, of, of, of team sacrifice, of dedication, these basic intangibles, which are at the, at the basis of any competitive sports for kids today, you're telling me those things are getting washed away because the, the, the spotlight is on the youngster who now says, okay, I had a really good season as a uh, as a 12-year-old, uh, and I'm tall, so now I'm going to be plucked and, and put on a much more elite club yeah. team. Well, there's this fear out there from, I think it originates from parents, that what if my young athlete is so good and nobody finds them? What if they don't know how good my athlete is? And that's basically morphed into something that's gro- grotesquely overdone I'll tell you a quick story about an athlete I covered for uh, Files One Sports in New Jersey. Leave it anonymous, but basically as a freshman, they were an unbelievable player. They won their sectional championship. They started. They were great. Great stats. Transferred to another school. Great stats. Transferred down to Florida to a boarding school and basically got buried and had to transfer back to New Jersey. After all these transfers, all this showcasing, I was like, where's this guy going to end up? Pretty much at the same level of college that he would have if he, he stayed in stayed. his freshman year of school. So but, who's pushing all that? Why not just stay in a great situation, win but, some games, have some fun, and then go to college? Because you know that the grass is always greener. And, uh, yeah, I'm a star as a freshman, but, you know, if I play against better competition or a bigger showcase, then I'll get even more offers my way. And and it, that's that's where the parents have to use a little common sense. And, again, this this is, to me, again, for my generation, the way we saw sports – Nobody worried about getting a college scholarship or going pro. That happened down the road if you were really, really good. But it's all now infiltrated to the younger ranks, and it's getting younger and younger, which gets me to this. You mentioned about third-grade team being on Instagram. I mean, this is just, as I said, bizarre. Yeah. But that's become standard well, way of doing business. Right. And, and I went out, I talked to some of my friends who coach in the college ranks, and I talked to them about, what do you think about these Instagram stories where you put your top 10 schools and then – you put your top five schools. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but what do you, what do you, what do you, mean you put your top five? So, ten to, for example, I'm getting where you want to go to school. Where you, where you recruit right. If I'm getting, if I'm a high school basketball player, I'll put a picture of myself dunking, and yep. then behind it, I'll have Rutgers, Ohio State, you know, Seton Hall. I have all the schools' logos behind me to say, "Ooh, all these guys want me," and I'm gonna now. Do the they coach, really? Do they really want? Yeah, you? Yeah, usually this is people who either offered you or interested okay, in the so mix. This is legit. But the coaches who see the Instagram are like, "Ugh, why? Like, <laughs> like, why are you bragging about something that should happen? All right, it, I, it's sanctioned bragging. <laughs> it's sanctioned bragging. All right, let me. I'm not sure what that means, but <laughs> let me what think. happened to humility? That's my point. <laughs> Just show up and dominate, hey, and then uh, get your scholarship. Hey, hey, Noah, you sound like me. I'm the old school guy here. <laughs> A number one selling author and a WFAN great, the fan remembers the life and legacy of Rick Wolf with a special presentation of the best of the sports edge. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 25 years of the Sports Edge on WFAN. We remember Rick Wolf with a special encore presentation of the show. This morning, I want to do a a deep dive and and discuss both the short-term as well as the long-term impact that the new rules regarding college student-athletes being able to make money from selling the rights to their name, image, and likeness, or NAL in short, and what that's all going to mean for college athletes and perhaps for, down the road, current high school athletes. I've asked our longtime Sports Edge contributor, sports commentator, and attorney Steve Callis, and I've also asked Noah Savage, all Ivy League basketball player at Princeton, who now does a color commentary for ESPN on college basketball, to discuss all this with me. Steve, Noah, good morning. Great to be with you as always, Rick, and with Noah. Good morning. Hey, guys. Look, look Steve, let me start with you because we have a lot of ground to cover here. Was this movement started with the college athletes? basically recognizing that the coaches and universities that they played for were making millions and millions of dollars, that the athletes had a hard time finding a few bucks in order to pay for their meals and personal expenses. Is that the real genesis of this? Well, I think there's no question that that's a major part of it. You can go back to the 1984 Supreme Court case, NCAA against Board of Regents of the University of Oklahoma, Uh where Justice John Paul Stevens gave an impassioned, almost quaint today about the, you know, benefits of amateurism and how we have to keep that. And the holding of the court is essentially the NCAA has committed antitrust violations because they are kind of the monopoly and the dictator, if you will, overall college sports. But the interesting opinion to me, and if anybody was going to read something, I wouldn't tell them to read the 40 or 45 page decision of the Supreme Court, although that's the law of the land. The scary thing, I think, for the NCAA is the Kavanaugh concurrence, which is only five pages. I would recommend that everybody read it. But in that decision, Kavanaugh said, this decision, the Austin decision from a couple of weeks ago, is limited only to these education-related expenses, as you know, Rick. Um, But he essentially said anything that the NCAA does now is going to be looked at on under normal rule of reason scrutiny from an antitrust perspective. Uh, and that essentially means that they're just going to look at it as they would any other business in the country because it extinguishes the free market in which individuals can otherwise obtain fair compensation for their work. People have talked about that. Athletes have complained about that for decades now. Uh, but this well, <laughs> immediately flips the switch and changes virtually overnight. Um, Everything that we've thought about in the past versus July 1 this year and, and looking forward. And at that point, I'm going to bring Noah Savage into this conversation because obviously, Noah, it wasn't that long ago that you were in college at Princeton playing basketball and, and obviously a, a big-time Division One uh, program. And yet, you know, the, the fact is that, uh, you know, even back then you were asking the same questions. Well, what, what's going on here? How come... How come uh, you know, the, the, uh, the major sponsors of the NCAA are able to cash in on my likeness and, and, and image, and yet I don't get paid a dime? And quite frankly, when you're in college, as with most student athletes, money is hard to come by. Um, and I know you, you were, this all goes back to the Ed O'Bannon case, uh, the, the basketball player at UCLA, and how he, he filed a lawsuit. And eventually, that, you know, he won that case. And I know you were one of the, the, the players who benefited from that. Yeah. Tell, tell me how you came to the same conclusion uh, that, you know, it's about time for this, this old world to change. Well, you know what, Rick, I'm going to uh, preface this with one of, the, one, of the best, uh, one of the best ways you can look at this is by comparing it to any other entertainment vehicle, right? So if you compare it to acting, you compare it to stand-up, you know, when Dakota Fanning was five and she starred in Signs, uh, you know, alongside Tom Cruise, there was no governing body that said she doesn't get to make money because she's too young. And when I was in college, we're a bunch of smart guys, supposedly hanging around and going, wait, how much does our coach make? And how much does he make off of camps? And how much does he make off of this and that? And we're over here playing, you know, 50 cent a dollar poker against each other at night going, man, I wish I had another 40 bucks to spend. Mm-hmm. So I'm smiling ear to ear because of the uh, progress that the NCAA 
has made in this case, but this is just a baby step, and there's still restrictions in place which are ridiculous, and I really think we're just going to see the end of the NCAA because I actually had to Google what, what they actually do, and on their website, they say that their main mission is to safeguard the well-being of student-athletes and equip them with the skills to succeed on the playing field and in the classroom and throughout life. Yes. I can't think of a single thing the NCAA did for me when I was in college playing D1 basketball. They had no relationship with a student-athlete. All they are was a net. They catch all the talent, and then they sell it to sponsors, and they say, you can't benefit off it. Well, that's, that's, uh, yeah. I mean, I know you've felt for strong about this for some time, and you did a nice job there basically summarizing your, your feelings about this. Uh, I, I, is it fair to say among the three of us that, uh, we do think this is going to be the end of death knell for the NCAA, that the, you know, the, the power five conferences are basically going to say, well, you know what? Um, you know, your day is come and gone. We're going to basically be charged with overseeing all of our athletes and what they do in terms of endorsement deals anyhow. So the NCAA, I'm not really quite, as you said, Noah, I'm not really quite sure what you provide for us in terms of any kind of leadership or, but you know, or help. Why, why does it even need oversight? You know, it's, it's a free market. So if you can go out and get 5 million Instagram followers or TikTok followers, go make money. I don't care what you do. You, you know, that that's, that's the free market. So I don't get why in this one subset of people known as athletes, there needs to be some sort of regulation. If we're talking this one with Noah Savage and Steve Callis, let me ask you this, because we're already, in just the last few weeks, deals for college athletes, student athletes, they're doing endorsement deals for everything from fireworks to, uh, to tea, scented candles, personal appearances with autograph signings, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. But let me ask you this, guys. Uh, those headlines were made this past week with a, um, a booster uh, of the University of Miami. And this fellow is very, very well off, and, and basically uh, he is a, he announced that he's going to pay each member of the University of Miami football team, that's 90 players, $500 a month to each one of them. All they have to do if they would promote his chain of exercise gyms that he owns and, and promote them on, on each kid's social mm-hmm. media account. You, I guess I know, I know you feel good about this. This makes a lot of sense to you. Uh, Steve, do you feel the same way? This makes sense to you? This works? Well, I think it's fair, but it's just going to be, as Noah alluded to, just, you know, the big schools will just be bigger and more powerful, and the richer the boosters, the more you can offer. I'll even go back to the actual Supreme Court decision where you had a guy like Len Elmore, friend of the Sports Edge, of course, Rick, um, who was an ABA and NBA player who then wound up going to Harvard Law School and became a basketball agent for a while. He said even with the internships, you know, under the Supreme Court decision, you can now give internships, paid internships, etc. And he used, I think, on purpose, the facetious example of saying, oh, okay, we'll give you an internship, we'll pay you a million dollars. But the real question is, we give you an internship, we pay you 10000 or 20000 or 30000 or 100000 What's the limit? What is considered, well, you know, moderate? And yes, that's what's going to happen. But again, as Noah said, um, there's already a huge recruiting difference for Alabama football or, I don't know, UConn women's basketball. Uh, I think this will only, if you have rich boots or a big budget, which those kinds of schools do, uh, I think that's only going to make the gap, frankly, even wider. Well, that, that's what I'm looking at here. And I'm glad you guys are, you know, agree with this. I mean, uh, it's what, it is going to be, uh, to coin a phrase, which I've used many times on the show, the wild, wild west. Mm-hmm. I mean, okay, so the Miami uh, football booster says, I'm going to put up uh, every kid in the team gets 500 bucks a month, which is obviously great income for a kid to have. But let's say they're going after a, a recruit. And somebody from the University of Alabama says, or, you know, or from Ohio State, so the same recruit, well, if you come here, we'll give you $1,000 a month, uh, you know, for an endorsement deal. Isn't that what you guys yes, are talking about? Isn't that going to happen? Well, maybe, maybe this serves as a way to make it more equal, uh, you know, across the different levels of D1, because now a booster, like Jeff Bezos went to Princeton. He could go, I'm going to give everybody on the team a million dollars. Yes. You come to Princeton, you're going you're gonna to get a million. Yep. So, so all of a sudden, the low D1 becomes a high major because they have a, a rich booster. <laughs> but you know what? It's up to every individual in this country how much they want to waste their money or spend it on whatever they want. And it's like, look at the assistant coaches' salaries for Florida, Oklahoma, Florida State in the millions for the assistants. And then you go, it doesn't matter. It's a free market. However much you want to pay a player to go to a school, that's your prerogative. I'd like to welcome Boomer Esiason to the Sports Edge. Now, look, everybody knows Boomer from his outstanding high school career at East Islip on Long Island. 
to his terrific career at the University of Maryland and, of course, his long and distinguished time as a star quarterback in the NFL. Boomer, welcome to the Sports Edge. Hey, Rick, good morning. Thanks for having me on. You know, I just heard you talking about the Catholic High School Athletic Association. Uh, because of the feckless leadership of the city council and the mayor, they are getting screwed. You know, they have done everything they possibly can to be able to play their sports and do it safely. And they should be a, uh, afforded and accorded uh, the support from uh, City Hall uh, to allow them to go and play. Now, that doesn't speak to uh, the problems that the public school system may have. But the Catholic school uh, system has certainly done everything it's possibly can do in, the, in light of the pandemic. And the fact that these kids are unable to play is just absolutely absurd. I couldn't agree with you more. And, and uh, again, this sort of plays into this whole theory about why don't we have some sort of centralized uh, commission, commissioner or commission to oversee all this stuff. Because if your kid is playing uh, at a Catholic high school in New York City and you're waiting and waiting and you see all your friends in the, in the other schools, uh, perhaps in the suburbs, they're playing football and basketball, other high high risk sports. But you aren't. And even more so. Uh, according to, to Kevin, who's the president, uh, Kevin Pickett, president of the Catholic High School of Sports in the Archbishop Diocese of New York City, he's telling me he hasn't heard anything. They haven't reached out to him. They, they haven't yeah, given this, any guidance. So, yeah, well, this is the feckless leadership I'm talking about. And, you know, when, when you think about my own career, I, I think back to my, my senior year at East High in 1978. If I don't play that season, then I'm probably not going to get a scholarship to the University of Maryland. They were the yes. only school that offered me one. And I think about all the kids that missed out last year. And I can understand initially a year ago when this thing started to hit our shores and to understand what we were dealing with and, and, and how we were going to deal with it. And obviously there's 9 million different opinions on everything else. And even the CDC, which puts out guidelines on a daily basis, released their latest guidelines this week and basically said, you know, you have to use our suggestions given your situation. So, I understand your thought process about a commissioner or a commissioner or whatever, but the problem with that is is that we've been given a civics lesson over the last year of just how powerful all of our governors are, all 50 governors in the United States and, and, and the decisions that they make and how they impact everybody else. And I talked to a friend of mine who's a coach, who's a social studies teacher, and who's a father. And he told me, in his eyes, we have failed our kids. Now, this is a Long Island uh, you know, coach that I was talking to. This is not a public school coach uh, in the PSAL in uh, New York City. So right, right. I do know this, Rick. Here's the problem. We have 20 million people in our state. We have about eight and a half million people within the five boroughs. We're living on top of each other. There are not enough hospitals. There's about 670 senior assisted living uh, facilities. We all know what happened there. Um, you know, there is just so much minutia <clears throat> and it's a quagmire that people like, you know, the Catholic High School Athletic Association who do it right uh, don't get rewarded for following the guidelines and making sure that their kids and their staff are safe. I, you know, again, the, the whole thing, the pandemic uh, had revealed, as you said, Boomer, uh, the fact that it's just chaos. There was no central clearinghouse. If, like these kids, in, who you said, like you mentioned, your own situation, getting one scholarship offer out of East Islip. You know, these kids who would play football at the Catholic leagues, they're like, well, you know, uh, we don't understand. I own a prep is playing football, and Stepanak played football. Why can't we? What's yeah. going on here? Because this is about, uh, you know, getting getting seen, getting recruited. Uh, uh, let's be honest, a lot of these kids go to these schools, these parochial schools, to be seen by college coaches. So to not have any kind of feedback from from uh, you know the powers that be, either in government or the Department of Health, is really, really vexing. Well, I think they're also worried about, you know, overrunning the hospitals. I can understand that in such a densely populated area. That's why, you know, if you had, let's say, your commissioner, you know, there's like 50 shades of gray to all of this. And I hate to use that uh, metaphor, but <laughs> there, there are. Uh, there, there can't be one blanket policy that covers everybody because there are certain difficulties that certain locales have that the others may not have. So if you are, you know, landlocked in Brooklyn and you have an outbreak in your community, you're less likely to say, hey, you know what, let's all come to school. Let's all be taught in school and let's go out and play football when we have people around us that are, you know, that have an outbreak. Where up in Dutchess County or Washington County or the eastern end of Long Island out in Suffolk County, that may not be the case. So, like, one guy or one person, one woman, whoever it may be, making a decision without understanding the localness of the, the issues and the problems that come along with those, 
I, I think it's probably oh, pie in the sky and would probably say that that would never happen. I No, I hear what you're saying. And obviously we saw this take place where basically uh, you know, the, 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 the state was saying during the course of uh, the pandemic, oh, no, no, we can't make a blanket decision because every community, every school is different. Every The, the, the infection rates differ all over the place. So we're going to allow the school districts to decide what yeah. they, how they want to handle this. Well, yeah. I, I sort of saw that as, geez, that's that's sort of like it's well intended to have sort of a localized kind of approach. But you're also letting people who are not necessarily experts in, in the field of infectious disease having to make decisions. That's different. Well, I, you know, I, I, I kind of understand that, too, because every superintendent in every school district is going to be different. You know, yes. if you don't test your kids, we're not playing against you. And if you do test your kids, when are you testing your kids? And compared to what we're testing our kids and how much does that cost? I mean... The, the, the cost overruns are enormous to get these programs off the ground. Every We live in a litigious society on top of all of this. Of course. Everybody's afraid to make a decision to get sued. Um, you know, there are some people, and we talk about sports because this is a sports station, but I would say the same thing about math club, chess club, theater, band. I mean, the morons out in California put the band in a freaking, in their individual tents so they could play their, 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 uh, you know, their musical instruments. I'm like, well, you got to be kidding me. Yeah. I mean, you know, and the other thing, too, you know, and, and there is high school football going on in Long Island right now. Yes. And East Islip has played the last two Friday nights. And Donna Champy, uh, the, the wife of my high school coach, Al Champy, missed her first game in 53 years uh, this Friday night against Comstalog. And think about that for a second. But, you know, why? We're outside. We can't have people come to games. We can't have parents watching their kids. Now, I'm not saying that Comstock had that rule. It's just that it was a little bit cold and she didn't want to go, and I totally understand that. But there are these arbitrary rules across you know, school districts that really don't make any sense, especially when you're talking well, about Suffolk County, which is a little bit more spread out. That's what I'm saying. I mean, it would have nice. I kept hoping and praying that there'd be either a Dr. Fauci or somebody like a Dr. Fauci who would step forth and say, OK, here's what we are going to use for guidelines. Here's if it's an indoor sport, an outdoor sport. Here's the parents. Uh, people can come, not come. We needed to have some sort of direct feedback or a place to go to get real, real honest, uh, you know, and, and critically important, uh, you know, objective evaluation. But that yeah. wasn't happening. And I, and I, you know, it, it's not happening. I know every household is different. Some uh, kids live with their grandparents. Yes. Some kids only may have one parent, uh, and everybody wants to be careful, and that's up to each individual family. And I've lived this life for myself uh, for, you know, 27 years with my son, Gunnar, and cystic fibrosis, who right. basically is living in a pandemic every single day of his life. So we know about N95 masks. We know about washing hands. We know about taking risks. And Gunner's whole life, he had to take he had to take a risk. And when he came to me in ninth grade, and he said, "Dad, I want to try out for the football team," I said, "Wait, wait, time out. Are you doing this because I played football, or you do this because you want to do it?" Mm -hmm. He said, "No, Dad, I want to do it." I said, "Well, go ask your mother." And he went to his mother and said, Mom, Dad said I can play football. <laughs> but the point being is that his mental health was just as important as his physical health. And we knew the risks as parents that we were taking. We knew that their mononucleosis was out there. We knew the flu was out there. We had the H1N1 pandemic uh, in the middle of 2009 and 10, I think, if I can remember correctly. These are all things for a cystic fibrosis patient and child. You worry about every single day as a parent. Now, I would say... If Gunner were in school today, he would not be playing because he has more than a comorbidity. He has a quad morbidity because it's a multifaceted disease. But I would say this. If my son were healthy like my daughter was healthy and is healthy, they would be in school and they would be playing because I wouldn't be worrying about the long-term effects of this disease because my daughter is perfectly healthy. So, mm -hmm. um, it's you know, every family is a little bit different, but I've lived this kind of pandemic life the last 27 years so i think i have a, a little bit better knowledge of most people and that's why i think that the mental aspect of every child that is missing out playing their sport that they love is is so significant and the damage that we have done over the last year is going to be um uh, it's going to be rearing its ugly head in years and years and years to come and i just i want kids off the video screens away from the video games and outside playing and doing what they should be doing to grow up as normal as possible WFAN remembers the life and legacy of Rick Wolf with a special presentation of the best of the Sports Edge. A number one selling author and a WFAN great, the fan remembers the life and legacy of Rick Wolf with a special presentation of the best of the Sports Edge. 
this show does, in fact, mark my, my 20th year here on the air at uh, WFAN. And I, I do want to take a few moments to, to basically reflect and, uh, quite frankly, to, to thank some very key people who have allowed me to come on the air here on Sunday mornings to discuss timely, important, and controversial issues in our lives as sports parents. Now, first and foremost, I, I want to thank Mark Chernoff, who had the, the vision and, quite frankly, had the courage uh, to put me on the air. You know, back in 1998, I, I don't think any other radio station in the country had the guts to do a show about sports parenting. But Mark, well, as a sports parent himself, he took a chance. And 20 years later, I'm still taking your calls and comments and questions about this ever-changing and obviously important subject. Thanks, of course, to Dove Kramer, who has offered such great help and support to me over the years in making sure we got the show launched and on the right track. I also want to thank my wife, Trish, who has sacrificed countless late Saturday night parties, get-togethers, and big events solely because I needed to get home on Saturday night to get some sleep so I could get up early on Sunday to be here. My wife is a, a longtime and a beloved uh, English teacher uh, up in the Chappaqua School District. And Trish, I just want to take a moment to publicly thank you for your endless patience and kindness uh, to allow me to do the show, which, as you know, has become uh, a real passion of mine. And anyone who has spent time around my wife knows what a, what a terrific and supportive person that Trish is. I also want to thank my mom and dad, who couldn't have been better sports parents, fully supportive, never pushy, always with a, a smile and a pat on the back for every one of my teammates over the years, regardless of whether they were a star of the team or just uh, players who saw only limited time on the games. Mom and dad always knew the right words to say. And of course, I want to thank each and every one of you who have listened to me over the years, and especially those of you who have been moved to call in and, and to talk with me about these topics. Uh, you know, in addition to, to learning a, a great deal about sports parenting issues from you all, the truth is, in many cases, I've become great friends with you as well. I mean, there's a, a wonderful and unexpected windfall of this job, is that is, you know, making connections over the phone with people who have emailed me about the show. Uh, the list, of course, is endless, but just to name a few of the names, uh, Steve Callis, Doug Abrams, uh, Denise from Connecticut, Coach Tom from North Arlington, Rob from Lake Success, Mike from Lindbrook, uh, Bob Bigelow, John Minko, of course. I mean, look, I could go on and on and on with all the callers who are as passionate about this topic as I am. And, uh, you know, I just have to give you all a very big, big thank you. Now, a little history. Many of you know I first became drawn to the whole field of sports parenting when I was working with the Cleveland Indians as their roving sports psychology coach back in the 1990s. Uh, at that time, our three kids were young. In fact, Samantha, my youngest, uh, wasn't even born until 1990. But during that time, in talking with top athletes who had gone through all the trials and tribulations of overbearing coaches and pushy parents, became clear to me that the days of laid-back moms and dads at youth games, well, th those days were long gone. And I saw firsthand what my own children were going through as they went through youth sports. I mean, I saw coaches who insisted that kids had to specialize in just one sport if they wanted to get ahead. Coaches who were inexplicably mean-spirited and, and, quite frankly, sarcastic to the kids. Coaches who lied to young athletes. Coaches who refused to accommodate kids who wanted to play more than one sport. Coaches who didn't care darn about the kids who sat on the bench. Coaches who were hired even though they didn't have any real credentials to work with children in that particular sport. And for the parents, well... I saw moms and dads who screamed at their little kids in Little League and in soccer games and hockey games. Parents who screamed at other kids on the team. Kids, I mean, I never understood how moms and dads could scream at, the, at kids who weren't their own. Parents who, who clearly cozied up to the coach in the hopes that their kid would get more honors 
uh, as the season progressed or get more playing time. Parents who live their own failed athletic dreams through the careers of their kids. That always bothered me. You've always heard the expression that parents live vicariously through their children. Yeah, but I just never understood. I mean, people know that and accepted that, but yet you still see it all the time. And I often wonder, like, mom, dad, you understand the, the, as I said many, many times over the years, the book on your own athletic career is over. It's done. This is your child. The child is not you. Sure, obviously, it, it's, it's the, the lifeblood of your existence, but that child is not you. It's not, they have their own dreams, their own goals, their own aspirations. Let them live their own lives. Don't you try to push your own failed dreams onto them and hope that somehow they're going to make good on that. It's not the way it works. Anyway, I, I saw all this happen over the last few decades as a sports parent myself, and I just couldn't believe everything I saw. And I felt that if I were witnessing all this, if I was seeing this all firsthand and seeing my own children trying to navigate through this maze, well, I, I figured that my experiences were probably common everywhere. And the truth is, in judging from the calls and emails and invitations to speak over the years, I'm convinced that my suspicions have come true. I mean, the truth is, it's one thing to be a, a diehard fan of your favorite professional team. I get that. But parents who are sports fans are a hundred times more dedicated, more passionate about their own kid who plays sports. And that's something we, we really can't lose sight of. And remember this, if you're volunteering to coach or you're at the high school or travel team level, coaching someone else's kid is a very, very serious responsibility. You can never take that responsibility lightly. It's, it's, you have to understand that, yeah, you're there perhaps you feel that your obligation is to win and win at all costs. That's not necessarily the perception or the perspective of the kid or of the parent. And again, you, especially as we go up that ladder from youth leagues to middle school into high school varsity, you understand we all accept the fact that the varsity level, that yeah, winning is what counts, that the best kids play, and so on and so forth. That still doesn't excuse you as a coach for understanding the kids on the bench obviously want to get playing time. They're there. They work just as hard as the kids who are the starters. And of course, the parents, they want to see their kids have a chance to play and to shine as well. Sports, we know, is the most democratic of all possible, uh, you know, uh, endeavors. If the fact remains, it's still about having fun. And again, coaches, parents, you're going to have to play the role of the grown-up here. you got to make sure you're playing the role of the adult because the kids are dependent upon you for everything from getting a pat in the back to feel like they're making some progress, to feel like, you know, let's, we're, 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 getting, we're doing something here which is fun. It's still about playing, and it's still about having fun. And I feel, unfortunately, uh, as much as we try to talk about that and try to reinforce that message on the show, sometimes we just lose perspective. And that's a shame, because at the end of the day, it's the kids, our children, our most valuable possession, if you will, that basically pay the price. We want them to enjoy themselves, to have fun, to look back on their youth whether it's from Little League or soccer, hockey, basketball, it might be, and say, I really had fun. Over the years, they may forget, you know, their final stats. They may forget their one-loss record, but they're going to remember the friendships they had, how much enjoyment they had, and perhaps they'll want their own kids to go out and play sports as well as, you know, we turn into uh, to grandparents. This is what it's all about. This is what drives the show. This is what drives me in doing this. Because, again, I've been through all these wars myself. I've seen all these things firsthand, and it's only getting more and more complicated, quite frankly, because there are no easy answers all the time. I'm the first to acknowledge that. But again, with your help, we'll keep making progress. I do want to make sure that, uh, yes, I, I want to give out the, the, the number for Gamblers Anonymous one more time, and that is 855-222-5542, or you can go to their website at uh, gamblersanonymous.org. It seems like uh, every generation seems to go through this, but uh, going back to the whole idea of, of point shaving and basketball, you know, point shaving is something that always was presented as sort of a victimless crime. And, of course, it all started, at least on the national uh, level, back in the early 50s when, uh, when college basketball was, when teams like CCNY and LIU ruled the roost and there was all these point shaving scandals that destroyed those programs. 
Then you skip ahead to the 1970s, and I recall Boston College had a player who was involved with point shaving, and that destroyed uh, you know that program for a number of years and, and the, 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 the players' lives. It seems like we might be heading towards that kind of situation again because so much time has passed. But point shaving has all to do with wagering and gambling, and for kids who aren't aware of how dangerous it can be, it's something, again, perhaps that lesson should be taught, again, either by parents or coaches. Again, there's a lot of things that can, can really affect you know, people's lives in a terrible way just because of the pursuit of making a quick buck from gambling. Again, for most people, it's not a concern. Certainly you go out, enjoy yourself, have fun, whatever. But for those people who do have this addiction issue, it can really uh, be extraordinarily harmful. Uh, and I, again, I, the number is at Gamblers Anonymous, 855-222-5542. One last reminder about that unusual offer I made this morning for uh, my new book, Secrets of Sports Psychology Revealed. If you uh, order uh, 25 print copies uh, for your youth organization or sports team, high school team, wherever it may be, I'll be glad to waive my usual speaking fee and come out to your community and talk about, about sports psychology and, of course, sports parenting as well. Uh, whatever you feel is the most appropriate. But again, that book, uh, which I'm, I represents more than 30 years of work in the field of sports psychology, really sort of pinpoints exactly how it works when it comes to the psychology of getting prepared to play at your highest level. I'll see you next week right here on The Sports Edge. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.